Bobby V, and uh, some would say the pastor formerly known as, and uh, that will make more sense a little bit later on. When Matt told me what movie I was, I was preaching on today, man, I, I was so excited because my wife and I are history buffs. Now, just out of curiosity, before we get into the candy, um, before the movie came out, how many of you have ever heard of the battle at Dunkirk? Actually, you guys are doing better in the first service. There's quite a bit, quite a few of you. I don't know if you picked up on, on, the, on the trailer where it says, the event that shaped our world. The battle at Dunkirk shaped our world. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, I know you all want some candy. So a couple of questions for you. What war was the battle at Dunkirk fought in? Very back. World War II. We have Junior Mints, Hot Tamales, and Nerds. Junior Mints. I'm not going to throw it because, uh, well, I would put life, people's lives at risk. So, yeah. All right, question number two. Sorry. Um, who was the director for the movie Dunkirk? Christopher Nolan. Who said it? Back here. All right. We have hot tamales and nerds. Nerds. There you go. And last question. What is Christopher Nolan best known for? What movie trilogy is Christopher Nolan best known for? Somebody said it. Right here? Batman? Batman it is. And you get hot tamales, which are actually my favorite. All right. The the fascinating thing about, about Dunkirk is it is the most hotly debated battle of any war in history. Um, at my old church, I had a, a, um, a, a, a general, who, a retired general, who, who used to be on President Bush, the first one's uh, cabinet. And he went to my church, and we were talking about Dunkirk, and this was years and years and years ago. And he said that no military mind can figure out what happened. The reason why it says that that event shaped our world is because Germany could have won the war at Dunkirk. Before America even got into the battle, Germany could have wiped it all out and been called it over. So what happened was, was British and Allied forces had gone in. Germany had come in through the, to the Netherlands. They were making their way towards France and... At that point in World War II, the Allied forces were still kind of in this World War I trench warfare mindset. And so they sat there, and they came in, and they were advancing. Now, there were 400,000 Allied troops. There was 800,000 German troops. They were outnumbered two to one, and Germany forced them back to the beach. And then Hitler stopped. For some unknown reason, he stopped. He could have pushed them all the way into the ocean and wiped out 400,000 men and wiped out the Allied troops right then and there, and it would have been a done deal. But he stopped. And we're speaking English today. It shaped our world. Whenever I I started thinking about Dunkirk and the the battle and and what was happening, um, a, a Immediately, I thought of the story of Elijah, and something about Elijah was 
at the time of Elijah, they were going through a three-and-a-half-year drought because King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were so evil, Elijah came in and says, three, we're going into a drought. Jezebel and Ahab said, we're going to kill you. They wiped out most of the prophets of God, and Israel was just in this bad decline. I mean, they got from bad to worse. And so we're going to read in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to pick up the story, if my Bible will open here. We're going to pick up the story in verse 41. It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I've always been a fan of the creative process. My family says that I'm a, a, a chronic entrepreneur. Uh, I've started um, several successful businesses, several very wildly unsuccessful businesses, um, and churches and things like that. And I've always been a fan of the start. Um, and, and when I watch a movie or read a book or hear a song, I'm always fascinated. I go to IMDb, I go to Wikipedia, and I try to find out what's the story of how it started. And, and if you know anything about the start, whether it's a movie or music, especially music, or a book, the start is ugly. It's, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't look good. The idea doesn't even sound good a lot of times. The start is always, always bad. But there's, there's something that we see here in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 that, that illustrates how faith starts. It shows us how it moves through different phases. Now, we're going to talk about coming out of a drought. They Israel was in this drought for three years, and we're going to talk about this drought. And whenever I say a drought for us, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily that, that your marriage is in crumbles and you're just like, how in the world? Or your business is just going down. There's no new revenue coming in. I'm not, it may be that bad, but I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about the dryness of the soul. See, there was a lot of times that I was succeeding on the outside in my life. Everybody looked at me and said, man... Bobby's got it all together. But inside, I was weeping. I was dry. There was nothing happening. What we see in here in 1 Kings is there are three phases that the enemy likes to use to keep you in that dry place, to keep you from experiencing the blessings of God. The first 
that we see here in, in 1 Kings 18 is the invisibility stage. In verse uh, 41, it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. The sound of a heavy rain. He didn't see the clouds. He just knew what God had told him. I've been in that place several times, and, and, and I know that you probably have been too, where you know that God has something better for you. You know that you're meant for something greater than where you are right now. You know that, that moving through this place where you are right now, that God has it there, but you just can't see it. You hear it. You hear the sound of a rushing rain, but you just can't see it. It's just not there. In verse 42, it says, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, and Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Now, I, I love you guys, and uh, I, I like to illustrate the Bible whenever it's appropriate. I can't do what Elijah did here because I don't do yoga. I don't bend that way. I, I don't do hot yoga, cold yoga. I, just don't, I don't do preaching yoga. I, I don't do the yoga. But basically, he climbed this mountain, and he climbed down, and he put his head between his knees and sent a runner. Now, why, why, did, why did Elijah send a runner? Why didn't Elijah go look on the, on the top of the mountain and look for himself? Because I believe that if Elijah had used his eyes, he would have died in the drought. He needed to be in a place where he was just listening. Just listening. There was a friend of mine who texted me a few weeks ago, and he, he texted me, and this guy is a CEO of, of several uh, corporations that he started. And he texted me, he goes, man, God is doing something big in my life right now. I just don't see the path to it yet, though. It's invisibility stage. It's like, I know that it's there. I know that God's calling me to that. I just don't see the path to it yet. It's that invisibility stage. So Elijah hears the sound of a heavy rain. He tells Ahab to go eat and drink. And then he gets into this prayer, strange prayer mode. And he tells a servant to go running. Uh, Kim, can I, can I get you for a second? Cam Sellers, everybody. So Elijah sits there and he says, I need you to go and look for the storm. So Cam, go ahead and go look for the storm. Now we're going to do something here, and I'm going to drag this point out. And we're going to wait for Cam. It's a little awkward, isn't it? It's a little, little strange. I'm going to drag this point out because this is what faith feels like. It's a little awkward. You're just sitting there waiting. And you don't quite know what's going to happen next. You'd wait. That invisibility stage. 
So the servant comes back up. Now, something you have to remember here is Elijah had just killed 850 false prophets. 850. Elijah had just called down fire from heaven in front of all of Israel. Elijah's not exactly the guy you want to give bad news to. So the servant comes back, and he says, there is nothing. There was, there wasn't anything out there. There was nothing. There was nothing out there. Cam Sellers, everybody, give him a hand. I wanted to do that because it, that's what it is. A lot of times when it starts, you remember we were talking about the start? The start is always uncomfortable. The start is always uncertain in faith. So the servant comes back and he tells Elijah, he says, oh, man, there, there's nothing. Now, I don't know what you heard, but oh, you, you want me to chase down Ahab and tell him to go easy on the, the food and drink there? Because uh, there's nothing. And Elijah does something fascinating here. He, he doesn't move from this, this prayer pose that he's in. And he tells the servant, go again. Seven times, go again. Sometimes there's just nothing there. You know what you've sensed in your heart. You know what you feel, but there's nothing there. You know what this church started with? Nothing. Do you know what the disciples packed on that day that Jesus went and preached to over 5,000 people? Nothing. Maybe the doctors have told you there's nothing that they can do. Maybe ever since you were a little girl, you've been told there's nothing special about you. You're in that it's nothing phase. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. You're just sitting there and it's nothing. But you know what you feel in your heart, down in your gut. You know that it's not nothing. Elijah comes back, and the seventh time he comes back, and he says, uh, "He says, so uh, it's 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 not nothing. There, there's something, but it's just a cloud the size of a man's hand." And Elijah, I love Elijah's response there because on the seventh time he comes back and he goes, "Yeah, it's not nothing, but it's it's just a cloud the size of a man's hand." And Elijah jumps up, takes his cloak, hikes it up, tucks it into his belt, and says, let's go, and takes off running. And you know what the, the, the servant's got to be thinking? The servant's got to be sitting there going, um, dude, maybe you didn't hear me. It's, it's a cloud, but it's just a little cloud. Nothing that's going to create a heavy rain, that's for sure. 
And Elijah's like, no way, man. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We got to go. This is what God was talking about. And the the servant's got to be sitting there going, man. Elijah was so excited at the cloud, the size of a man's hand, that he outran Ahab on his chariot for 17 miles. He outran a chariot. He believed God that much. The second weapon that, uh, that, that the enemy will use to keep you in a dry place is insignificance. There's a, a, a verse in here that says, says, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. They made it through the invisible stage. They made it through that. Now it's insignificant. There's something. I promise you there's something. Now it's not nothing. Now it's just insignificant. Remember I was telling you about my friend that texted me. I I texted him back after he told me, man, I just don't see the path path forward. And he was telling me that that he just feels like everything he's doing is just dumb. He goes, I'm in this management stage. And I can identify, man, I hate the management phase. In, in, when, in church or business, man, I get to the management phase and I get bored and I want to start something new. I, I, I got what he was saying. And something that I've had to fight in my own life is, is whenever you get there to stop looking at what I'm doing now. And I told him, I said, for the next 30 days, whenever something comes across your desk, when something comes across your way that just seems stupid, that seems like somebody else should do that. I said, I want you to say out loud for the next 30 days, this is significant. This is significant, vacuuming the carpets. This is significant, changing the baby's diaper. This is significant, dealing with the customer who's, who's belligerent. This is significant in this job that I hate. This is significant, not just that, but this. You need to celebrate the sucky start. You make it through the invisibility stage. It's not nothing. You get to the insignificant stage. It's just a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's not enough to to flood the rivers. It's not enough to... It's not enough to feed an entire nation. It's not nothing. But it's insignificant. So Ahab comes back and he's like, he tells Jezebel. Now, now something you need to understand about Jezebel. Jezebel is in charge of, of Baal the God that Israel had turned away from, from our God to, and they're now worshiping Baal. Jezebel is in charge of that. Jezebel's evil. Evil with a capital E. She's the reason why Elijah was running for the first place for three and a half years. Because she wanted him dead. So Ahab comes back, goes to Jezreel, goes to Jezebel, who's in Jezreel, 
and says, yeah, yeah, Elijah, yeah, we're, we're coming out of the, the good news is, is we're coming out of the drought. The bad news is, is he killed all of your prophets. And by the way, he called down fire. And she says, I'm going to kill him. Verse 19, I want you to look real quick with me in verse ni- or chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of those. I'm going to kill you. And Elijah says, bring it on. No. I wish that's what he said. Uh, That would make sense. Here's a guy who just called down fire, just took out all of her prophets. He's seeing the effects now, the rain is coming, the promise of God is there, why would you be afraid? Let me say something, and I didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say it in this one. If Jezebel could have killed him, she would have. She wouldn't have sent a messenger to say, I am going to, she was scared. She knew her days were numbered. And she was sitting there and scared. She's like, all right, well, I, I know I can't kill him because, I mean, he just killed 850 of my prophets. I can't do that. So she sends a messenger to say, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah turns and starts running away. I don't buy it. You just did all of these things. You've seen God do some amazing things, and all of a sudden... She sends a messenger and says, yeah, I'm going to kill you. And now you're scared? But that's how faith works, isn't it? We get into this stage. If, if I can't kill you in the invisibility stage, if I can't kill you in the insignificant stage, then I'm going to keep you from it in the intimidation phase. We hear it, we don't see it, but we survive the invisibility stage. But it's not much. Um, I'm, I'm just a fill in the blank. It's insignificant. I'm a nobody. You survive that, and the rains come. And now. You're in the intimidation phase. If he can't kill you in the first two phases, he's going to kill you in the intimidation phase. He's going to take you out there. He's going to scare you. Maybe you've made it past the invisibility stage and you've made it past the insignificant stage and now you're just scared. God's calling you to something that you're just like, that? Anything but that. I can't do that one thing. I'm scared. Who am I? It's just a cloud the size of a man's hand 
but little is much when God is in it. Don't be intimidated. Elijah was on the run again, and he, he went from being a, a, a refugee to a rainmaker back to a refugee. And he runs away, and he hides in a cave. And he's sitting there, and he says, man, I'm all alone. Poor me. I've got nothing. God comes in and smacks him upside the head and says, you know what? You think you're all alone? I have 7,000 who haven't bowed to Baal. You're not alone. You're not doing this by yourself. And that's what I want to promise you this morning. You're not alone. You're not the first person to go through a dry season. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, I'm going to have... um, I'm going to have Jerome and the musicians come, come on up. And uh, you're going to see my phone number pop up here in just a second. And we're going to sit here, and, and they're going to sing, and they're going to play. And I want you to, sorry, I want you to um, bow your heads, close your eyes. They'll sing. You don't need to sing. Do business with God. You're in one of these phases, and you may not want to come up here. I'll be up here. If you want to come up and talk to me, that's fine. I'll be up here. But if you don't want to come up in front of everybody, just text me. Just text me. I'll text you back, and we'll set up a time to talk. We'll go through that. I've been in all three of those phases. I was a pastor for 23 years. And I thought I had made it. I had made it to, I was the pastor of a huge church in Texas, and I was it. I had the, the magazines writing stories. I had radio stations calling to do interviews. I had made it. My life was bulletproof. I was a pastor. People knew who I was. I was it. And then 2010 happened. came crashing down I got laid off from the church I thought I was going to retire at moved back with my family to Colorado and lost my marriage I lost my kids my bulletproof life not so bulletproof and for five years I was in that dry place not here this service she was here for the last one but I met my new wife who was a brand new believer for just a couple months and she drug me back to church and she's like I don't know what all of this is but God has something bigger for you and I know it I'm standing here because I've made it through the invisibility stage made it through the insignificant stage and I've made it through the intimidation stage so go ahead and stand
And as Jerome sings, I want you to bow your heads. Go ahead and stand. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to do business with God. I'm going to be standing up here, and if you want to come and, and talk to me and have, pray with, have me pray with you, that's fine. If you don't, just text me, and we'll, we'll make, make an appointment. So Jerome, as, as you sing.